listener production. Okay, are you recording? Greetings, one and all. Welcome along to episode 163 of the Howie Games Part A, featuring rugby league royalty, an immortal, an icon of the game, Andrew Johns. Johns goes for a field goal, and Bill Harrigan says it is a field goal right on half time. Well, Andrew Johns, there's nothing left to be said. Joey as he's known by one and all, is one of the greatest rugby league players of all time, a talismanic figure for his beloved Newcastle Knights, New South Wales Blues and the Kangaroos. When the game was to be won, when it was on the line, teammates, fans, commentators, everybody, they all turned to Joey. And Joey, well, Joey would deliver time and time again. So many lost and left behind And no one seemed to care those who should seems like they're blind Pretending they're not there Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes But as he explains, life off-field wasn't always easy for Joey. At times, in his words, the game was his sanctuary and escape from some of the issues he was confronting and working through at a time when mental health was not a topic of discussion for blokes, especially a bloke viewed by many to be Superman. As you're about to hear, Joey has never appeared on a podcast before, not through a lack of request, mind you. He agreed to come on the Howie Games to talk about his involvement, amongst other things, with Levin Health, where he is on the advisory board. Levin is in the medicinal cannabis space. Now, I knew nothing about this entire area, so I read a lot about what medicinal cannabis is all about prior to speaking to Joey. And what became quickly obvious to me is that it is not smoking a joint in any way, shape or form. It is completely, completely different. As you're about to hear from Andrew, he feels it has been a life changer for him in managing chronic pain. Now, there is no shortage of information online about the product. Read about it yourself and form your own conclusions. Your doctor will be all over it also. Alrighty, here's the story of Andrew Gary Johns, a man of passion. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed In King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Welcome to the Howie Games. A man who has been asked to do a lot of podcasts, he's just told me, and this is his podcast debut, so I really appreciate it. Andrew Johns, welcome to the Howie Games. How are you? Cheers, mate. I'm good. How are you going? I'm good. You've been asked to do a few of these before. Hundreds. Hundreds? Yeah. Hundreds. So I am very fortunate and I appreciate that. Um, Why the reluctance to this point, mate? I don't know. I have no idea. It's like... There's only, there's only probably so many great interviewers, especially in this country. You know, you talk about Ray Martin and Andrew Denton and these guys. Seems like everyone's got a podcast these days. Well, I hate to let you down, but I'm not one of the great interviewers, but I'm going to do we'll see how we go. Now, one of the reasons you're on, which we need to talk about right off the start, which is something that fascinates me, Andrew. Do I call you Andrew or Joey? Joey. Where's Joey come from? Uh, when... When I was born, my dad wanted to call me Tig, 
as in, uh, I think it's an AFL player, Ty Keneally. Ty? Yes. Yeah. So I grew up in a mining town, small mining town west of Newcastle. My mum was like, if you call him Ty in this town, kids will kill him at school. <laughs> so my dad said, right, I'm going to call him Joe, J-O-E. So growing up, my dad, I don't think I've ever heard my dad call me Andrew. Huh. And uh, I went from Joe and then once I started playing footy, I don't know, I just went to Joey. So the only people who called me Andrew were my mum and my partner. Well, that's funny because I said to you at the start, call me Howie, not Mark, because the only person that calls me Mark is my mum and it feels like I'm in trouble. So we better stick to Howie and Joey. So unfortunately, mum calls me Andrew quite a bit when I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Same for me. Right. Now, as I said, one of the main reasons we're here to get things underway is your association with Levin Health, which is in the medical cannabis space. This is something that really fascinates me. What was the reason you got involved, mate, before we discuss what it's done for you? Um, oh, well, I got involved um, because I'm living it and I believe in it and I think it can help pretty much hundreds of thousands of Australians living mm. with pain and discomfort and whose bodies are broken like mine, and I just believe and I just, you know, everyone I talk to about it, former players, uh, I've spoken to my father, so many people. I just, and I just believe it, I'm living it, and it's, it, um, I've got my life back, simple as that. Which I, I really want to talk to you about. So when people hear the term cannabis, they immediately think about smoking a joint, et cetera, which is very, very different from what we're discussing. Yeah. So people need to understand this is not to get you high, it's not to take you to another place. It, it's That is all removed from it. So what's it done for you, Joey? Well, originally I developed seizures late in life, which may, may be contributed from all the concussions I've had. You know, I've had probably over 20, 30 concussions during my footy career. Um, so I was reading up on it. And I had the last big seizure I had, I was on holidays up the coast. And, and what, if you don't mind me asking, what happens when you have a seizure, if that's um, not too much of a personal question? Well, you go into this dreamlike state, which they call an aura. Now, for me, it's sort of hard to explain. I get a bit anxious about it because it, it I don't know, it, it takes me like a deja vu somewhere where I've been before, but I can't describe what it is. And there's sort of three elements from it. I, I can feel it coming on and then it comes up my body and then I go into this altered state, which I think only lasts for two or three seconds, but sometimes it can last for 30, 40 seconds. Is it scary? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I had the big seizure, last seizure. This was, would have been four years ago. Right. And there was a doctor, Dr James Stewart, got in contact with me about it. Now, I've already been reading up on it. And he spoke to me about it and he uh, prescribed me some um, medicinal cannabis. Now, I take um, traditional medication for it too. So I went and saw the professor who I see in Newcastle, Professor Chris Levi, another doctor up there, uh, uh, Dr Gardner. And they specialise in head traumas from concussions. And they, they said to me, look, it won't hurt. Give it a shot. So I've given it a shot. Uh, whether it works or not from a seizures, I don't know. I haven't had a seizure since. Uh, but that's probably because of the traditional medicine. But for me, within 18 months, um, I'm a keen surfer. 
So if I surf, you know, sometimes I surf two, two hour sessions a day. The next day, I've had my neck fused. So the next day, I can hardly move. So I lived on anti-inflammatories pretty much 20, 25 years. Then all sorts of dramas with that, ulcers and everything. Since I started taking the CBD, the medicinal cannabis, I haven't hardly had any inflammatory. I can surf. I'm back in the gym. And the last 12 months, I can run again. I've hardly been able to run in 10 years. The, you know, the anti-inflammatory qualities, the pain relief for me, the concentration, being able to sleep. I'm a restless soul. I try, I, I, I can't sit still. It calms me down. It's, it's been an absolute game changer and I've got my life back. I can, you know, I've got a 13-year-old boy who loves footy, so I can go to the park and kick the footy and run around with him. Just, I can't describe how happy that makes me. I'm really happy to hear that. Um, I, I'm really happy to hear that. How do you, what, what's the process of taking it? Is it, is, it a, is it a drop? Is it, how do you actually take it and what form does it come in, Joey? Just in an oil. I just put it under my tongue in the morning. I got some in the morning I take and there's some at night with a, a tiny bit of THC in it, which then relaxes me, which then, you know, releases, relaxes the muscles around certain areas where I've had trauma, around my neck and back especially. Um, and it's just I got my life back. I'm, I'm able to exercise. Just the sense of well-being I had is hard to describe. Mental health is such a important part of the modern world. I was speaking to the last guest on this show, James Hurd, a, a very well-known AFL player, and he talks about how his day is set up by exercise. And I feel the same. If if I've exercised, which I have this morning, I've been I live down the coast, and I've actually been for a surf this morning. All is well with the world. I can tackle the day. So I can only imagine when you can't do those things, it when you've lived such a physical life, it must really weigh on you, Joey. Well, it just destroyed me. I, you know, especially when when I had my neck fused. Um, Why'd you have to get your neck fused? Oh, I just, I, I retired because I hurt my neck. Uh, I had bulging discs, three bulging discs. From an incident or from uh, constant? Just over time, continually yep. getting smashed. So uh, I retired because of that. Then I had another incident three years after I retired, so around 2009, 2010, where I re-injured it. Now, my whole right arm went numb. Jeez. Couldn't move my right arm. I was just in agony and pain. So... That was for a couple of months. Eventually, I got in, got it fused, uh, and it was a you know fairly long recovery. So during that time, I couldn't train, I couldn't surf, I couldn't do anything, and I was in constant pain, taking all these painkillers. I'm living like a zombie. I don't know what's reality and what's a dream or where I've been. Jeez. So for me, not being able to surf and train, it just it's without doubt probably the worst time of my life for that probably twelve months. And now that you're able to train again, like, do, do you go to the gym and now go for a surf and it just must fill you with joy that you're back in business? Well, it gets me to bed earlier. Yeah. And, you know, during that time, my head's not caving in, so I'm not self-medicating, which, you know, I've got a very addictive personality, which, you know, if I can channel, I channel that into my rugby league or staying healthy, then I'm on the good route. If I go down the other way and channel it to the dark areas and life falls apart. So for me, exercise is just, can't describe how important it is and being able to surf, being able to run, burn outdoors, you know, burning off this this excess energy I have. And how long after you started 
taking the medicinal cannabis, does it kick in, Joey, where you start to feel like you can do things? Is it immediate? Is it a month? How long does it take? I reckon it was a couple of months. Now, I read the story about Lauren Jackson. That's the one also that, yeah. that sort of hit me about she was taking it. She retired from the uh, NBAW. WNBA and WNBL. Started it and got started playing socially and then started training yeah. and now back playing for Australia. It's crazy, absolutely crazy. But, you know, for me, I, it's what I'd say to, now especially the older people I speak, speak to, you know, I spoke to my dad about it, he's got arthritis, you know, he played footy and was a coal miner and everything like that. And it's, you know, I'm not taking dope, I'm not taking that, I'm not taking this. And it was like, well, this plan, for whatever reason, was put on this earth. But it, Unfortunately, us humans has abused it over time, which has got this stigma involved with it. Or do you want to live on, you know, things that are made in a laboratory, certain pills and this sort of thing? You know, it's, um, as I said, for me, it's, it's been such a life-changing thing. So if people are interested in this and they're listening to what Joey is saying, you can see a doctor if you're interested in medicinal cannabis to deal with chronic pain or anxiety or poor sleep, it's legal. So go and see your doctor if you think you can help. Um, you, you mentioned the anti-inflams. I work with a lot of ex-footballers that, that lived on it during their career. How many anti-inflams were you taking to be able to operate in your day-to-day life? When I was playing, I'd be taking one or two in the morning, one or two at night. Right, so you're constantly on Just them. eating them like lollies. Like I've, I've had every injury of an ankle reconstruction, knee reconstruction, four operations in my groin, I broke my back, shoulder recall, elbow, every injury known to man. So, you know, I trained that hard, I probably overtrained when I was playing and which put even more stress on the body. So I needed those to get through. Is it worth it? Yeah, of course it was. <laughs> you say that was. immediately, like you've described what you've been through, the, but immediately. I've had the best life. And without rugby league giving me um, discipline, direction, routine, I would have been going down an awesome passing. Before we get to rugby league, let's talk about surfing. I live in a little place called Barwon Heads, so my local break is 13th Beach. Um, so uh, 15 minutes from Torquay. I've got a lot of family that live in Newey, so I've had the pleasure of Bar Beach and Merriweather, etc. How often are you getting out these days? You're in Sydney. Yes, well, every day. Uh, every day. Every where, day. Where's, your, where's your local? I live. <coughs> I live at Bronte Beach. Right. So I'm very lucky and. I praise whoever every day that I've had an opportunity to do what I love, play rugby league and financially set myself up and you know, I live opposite the beach here. Bronte, I'm living at the beach now. Hmm. What type of board are you on? Oh, I've got half a dozen. I'm riding, have you? I'm riding in <laughs> a Mark Richards mayhem fish at the moment. And what does surfing do for you? Well, just it calms me down. It uh, totally relaxes me. It's a release. I feel like once I get on the water... Everything that's happening on land, I'm away from it. And, you know, it can feel that competitive nature in you. It can give you that fright when you go out and it's big. And then the sense of camaraderie, you know. I'm, I can get out there at 8.39 in the mornings and there's always the same older crew out there. So we go for a surf. We're not hassling each other. Mm-hmm. You take turns and go for a coffee after it. You know, it's just, for me, it... it keeps me sane. What's your perfect day in the surf? I'm a 
I'm a four-foot man. I'm a offshore four-foot. That's about my area. Once it gets to five and six, I start to not enjoy it. Well, what sort of is your perfect size and surf? Well, four to six foot, howling from the south and pouring rain. Right. That way no one's out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And do you look, being as good as you were at rugby league, Andrew, do you look at surfers, do you look at, like you watch uh, Chopu a couple of weeks ago, do you look at it and think, I wish I could do it at that level or are you just happy with where you are? No, you, you know, you're, when you're out surfing, you see, especially if you see the pros and they're just yeah. absolutely destroying it, you're like, geez, I'd love to surf like that. But the path I went down, I just absolutely love rugby league from the time I could walk and I still love it. Back to Joey Shawley. Next up on the show, a marathon runner, which is super cool because I've always wanted to have a marathoner on the show. The whole caper, both physical and mental, it fascinates me. Jess Stenson, Nee Trengove, is a Commonwealth Games gold medalist over 42 kilometres. And Jess, poor, she is one tough cookie. I remember having an interview after the race and suddenly, I don't know if it was a bit of the adrenaline wore off or because I'd just been standing still, the pain in my toes was just intense. And when I had to try and peel my shoes and socks off to get into the shoes for the ceremony, I just looked and there were blood blisters, blood blotches. It was because you know, your toes are sort of hitting the end of your shoes on the downhills. And um, I took quite a while to get back into jogging as well. I I had quite some, yes, a fair bit of sharp pain in the the quads for a while there. That's Jess Stenson next up on the podcast. All righty, let's get back to Joey. Tell me about your start in rugby league. So, do you grow up, uh, you grew up regionally, did you? Is that Cessnock where you're from? Cessnock. It's about an hour inland from Newcastle. Is that Jack Newton country? That's where Jack was from, yeah. Right. I'm sure he had a lot to do with you then because he, he loved his sports of all types. Yeah, I had a lot of uh, great memories with Jack. He's uh, he was a special guy. Some so tell me. times uh, too. Oh, <laughs> the Jack Newton Celebrity Classic. I, I worked on that for a couple of years and it took me two weeks to recover after it each time. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about your family, Joe. You said your father was a miner, yeah? Yeah, my dad's a uh, coal miner, worked... His mines down the mines for what probably 25 years. Captain coached the local footy team. So, myself and Matthew, my older brother, we pretty much just grew up at training with him, ball boy at the footy. You know, it's all we knew. What was footy to you when you were a young kid running around watching the men play? Did you look up to the local boys with stars in your eyes? Oh, they were our heroes, and you know, we got to see them. They'd be around home all the time having barbecues and getting on the piss for the old man. Um, but the guys who played in Sydney in those times, they, they were just, they were superheroes. They were out of our touch. <laughs> and um, it wasn't until our sort of mid, our early teens, there was a guy that played for Cessnock who went and played in Sydney. So we actually came down a few times and watched him and that, that was just total stars in our eyes. We were just blown away. My young bloke started watching uh, the local footy, our, our local team, small country town like you're talking about, is in the grand final and he went into the rooms after the prelim and he came back with all these stories and he was singing the song because it's the same song that he sings at his junior team. What was it like for you in the rooms with your dad after a game with all these big, sweaty, muddy men? Well, we just were in all of them. We'd, same thing. We'd, 
we'd uh, hear him sing the song, we'd watch him train, you know, we'd be on the sideline, ball boy, we were watching, you know, the heroics on the field, winning games, kicking goals, and then see him celebrating at our place. It's, it's all we knew. So who did you first play rugby league for? What, what, what was your first proper game of rugby league? I was just not going as not, I was probably four or five or something like that. And what was it about the game, Joey? I don't know. I just, uh, well, I, well, when I was young, that's all we knew. I didn't even know other sports pretty much existed. But it was just an outlet for energy to compete. You know, I was loved competing even at a, a younger age of that. I always wanted to win everything to training and wanted to win the game. So it was such an outlet. And when you'd lose, how did losing manifest for you? Well, the worst sport in the world. Throw mouth oh, yeah. guards, screaming, kicking holes and things. Didn't change. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't change when I was playing professionally. It was the same thing. <laughs> and how'd your how'd your dad deal with that as the as a mentor in the in the family as far as rugby league goes? Was he Joey? You've just got to take it on the chin, or did he say right? They just let me go. I think and see that I had that competitive spirit and pretty much let me go. And were you? I've had a lot of people on this show, Andrew, and for every, I always use this example, for every Ricky Ponting that was always going to play for Australia, there's 99 Justin Langers who had to work and work and work. Were you an outright star as a kid? It's no time for modesty. Were you a dominant player or did you... For a while there, but then I didn't grow till I was sort of 15, 16. So during those early teens from sort of 12 to 15, Looking back, it was it was pretty scary being out there because I was just so small. And look, that is a time before we had a, a big influence of the Polynesian boys into the game. Who you know, you see them now, how big they're that big at fourteen, fifteen. So it wasn't until I was sort of fifteen, sixteen that I started to get the real confidence. But the best thing from twelve to fifteen, because I was so small, I learnt the trade of how to catch, how to pass, the foundations of the game, how to step, how to stay away from getting smashed from the big boys. So once I got older and bigger and stronger, I had all those fundamentals and the techniques which then I built my game on. I'm going to play you something on my phone, Joey. Uh, frequent listeners to this show know I have a couple of kids and whoever is most connected to the guest if it's okay with the guest, they ask a question. And what you're talking about is exactly the question my son had for you. His name is Mac. He's 10, but his nickname, Joey, is the Big Penguin. He came up with it himself. That's the way he rolls. Are you happy to take the question from the Big Penguin? Yeah. They're always better than mine. Here we go. Hey, Andrew, Big Penguin here. There's a lot of tackling in rugby league. And when I play AFL in under-12s, there's some kids that look about 16 years old. And whenever I try to tackle them, I just hang off the back of them and I don't think I make much of a difference. So how do you take those big guys down and not feel like you're a warthog trying to tackle a lion? <laughs> um, well, in, in AFL, do they actually teach them technique of how to hold your head and where to hit them and your footwork? They, no? they don't. They don't, Joey. And they don't have that front-on tackling that you do. You're normally tackling from the side and behind. So he was fascinated about exactly what you're talking about, about technique. Well, if you're smaller, if you're going to sink a big ship, where do you hit them? You hit them right in the middle. Right. So that's the target area, just below the rib area, just below the ball. And... 
People think defence is all about shoulder. Well, it obviously is from timing, but a lot of it's footwork. It's like similar when you get to throw a punch or you hit a golf swing or, you know, do something. You've you got to move your footwork and have the timing of when your feet get in nice and close and be able to drive and everything works together. I'll, I'll pass that on to him about how to take the big boys down. When you were growing up, 12, 13, 14, what were you like at school and, and was there a plan or was it always rugby league, Andrew? Well, the plan was to do what my dad and all his friends did was play for Cessnock and work down the mines. That's <laughs> that's what we sort of saw. Never thought that we'd have an opportunity or have the ability to play in, in the Sydney competition. Or, um, yeah, and that, that was pretty much what we were going to look forward to and it would have been fine if we did that. You know, we all had our close mates and great camaraderie around the footy club and, you know, all my dad's mates and their sons, we all used to hang out. So I'd be doing that at school, um, struggle to sit still, struggle to concentrate, which you know, later in life I got diagnosed with ADHD. Um, when I put my mind to it, I was all right, but I'd be constantly looking outside, wanting to be outside. What does ADHD do to you? Like we have a lot. Of, we have we got a, we're lucky we've got a big audience on this show, Joey, and we have a lot of kids listen. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of people that are identifying with the various things you're saying. Mental health's been a massive talking point on this podcast. What, what effect did ADHD have for you? Well, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't sit still. Um, and you know, at times with that, I'd be very disruptive. And I just don't think I had the tools when I was young to be able to deal with that. Uh, later in life, I've found yoga, which has been incredible for me. My partner's a yoga teacher, so that helps. But then once I got into the stretching, but the breathing side of things, um, I felt that slowed me down. Look, I, they put me on medication in uh, probably mid-20s there for a while at Newcastle. Yep. And uh, just just turned me into a zombie. I just didn't like what it did. You know, I had this endless energy where I'd get up and I'd train in the morning. Then I'd go and surf all day. Then we'd go back in the afternoon and train. I'd just lap it up. But then when I was taking the medication, I'd drag myself out of bed, go and train, come home and sit on the lounge for two, three hours. And it was just like, you know what, this just isn't for me. Um, so well, once again, I found the medicinal cannabis. Slows me up. I can actually sit on the lounge and watch a movie without getting up 10, 15 times looking out the window, what's happening outside. So what's it like when when your brain is going like that all the time? Do you do you crave, now that you have that 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 tranquility, do you crave that or is it just what you used to so you don't know any different? Well, as I got older, I think it slowed up a lot. But think about think about something when you're a kid, yeah, and one of your friends is having a party at the beach or a pool and you just can't wait for it. And you wake up in the morning and you're so psyched and you're so revved up and you're just frothing that much you want to get there. Yeah. Well, it's like that every day. Wow. So it must be hard to sit there and kids will listen to this and they'll identify with it. It must be hard to be sitting there in class at school. Well, you get very disruptive. When you get bored, you get disruptive. Um, But I was lucky. I, I found my path and I think with that energy and the restless soul I had really helped me in the training because the harder the training, the more I lapped it up. You know, the off-season training, I actually used to look forward to that 
three or four months of just getting flogged every day. So how old were you when you first joined Newcastle? Well, I was on a scholarship at 14. 14? Yeah. So we're playing Harold Matthews, which is under 15. So I went pretty much under 15s, under 17s, under 19s, under 21s, reserve grade, and then got in first grade. So at age 14, what involvement do you have with the football club? How often are you there? Uh, two days a week, just training. Nothing really to do with the, the senior squad. Um, but in those days, we had just a knockout carnival on the weekend. I think these days there's about 16 rounds. But, you know, kids are getting identified at 12, 11, 12, 13 years old. And they're putting development squads and development systems. Um, yeah, it starts early. And what was it like as a 14-year-old to walk into a professional rugby league club? With these, like you talked about, looking up to the Cessnock blokes. Now you, now you got these full time well, professionals. Well, every second weekend we used to go watch them, sit on the hill and watch them. So to wear the colours. So the Knights came in in 1988. Yep. At 14, that was 1989 when I started in the junior system. So once I got that taste and and got into the system, I was just, I was just in heaven and just absolutely loved it. At what age does training start ramping up? Like you talked about loving the training. At what stage do you do you really start having to put your your nose to the grindstone? Um, well, in those days, look, even at senior level, it wasn't professional. So in those days, it was, you know, three days a week, you know, maybe some gym sessions in the mornings and stuff. It wasn't until the mid-90s where we went fully professional. Um so it's probably around that 17 years old where you started to really train hard and lift weights and that sort of stuff. So I'd say in the early 90s, 1991. Were you obsessed with it? Yeah, just loved it. Absolutely loved it. And had a footy ball in my hand the whole time. Was outside constantly working on my kicking, my goal kicking. Just couldn't get enough. Your first game is quite um, – I watched some highlights of your first game. I, I, do you like talking about your rugby league career or not? Well, I don't really look back. It's sort of – explained to someone recently, I was talking to one of the young guys I coached, and I said probably the worst thing you could live with as a professional sportsman would be a regret, you know, when you retire. Geez, I wish I did that different. Yeah. Now, I look back in my career and I don't re- – you know, on the field – there's nothing I regret. I squeezed everything out of it. So that sort of thing, I don't sort of think about too much. You know, obviously there's stuff away from the game I'd, I'd like to, uh, that I regret, which I have to live with all the time. But footy career, no, it's sort of, I don't really look back much. We might park the regret stuff. Can you indulge me and, and have a bit of a chat through your career if I ask you some questions about it? Yeah. Your first game, I looked at the highlights. Um you're a young man playing, I think it's South Sydney. Doesn't matter. Andrew Johns pops the field goal and she's over on the Newcastle night. Now Andrew Johns. Sights a little hole himself. He's close. Right. He reaches out. That's a tie to Andrew Johns. Bridge streak from the little halfback. And that's a good reward for a great game in his debut match for the Newcastle Knights. Um, what, what are your memories of your first game? Like nowadays it's jumper presentations mm. and, you know, the, there's videos goes out to parents and stuff. How do you find out you're going to be, become a first-team player? Well, the year before, 
uh, I played pretty much every game in reserve grade and I was yep. pretty close to getting a start. And then the 94 off-season, I think I was pushing the guy that was in my position. And then the last trial, he did his ACL, so he was out. So I was I probably wouldn't have played if, huh. if he didn't get injured. Uh, I just remember just thinking this is everything I've ever dreamt of, dreamt of and hoped of. And I just can't describe how nervous I was, could hardly sleep. And then it was just a dream come true. Your first, your first game, you, you're a modest man, obviously, 23 points on debut. You're one man of the match. And right near the end, <laughs> I, I don't know if this means anything to you, the commentators are discussing it's going to be hard to describe and decide who wins the Just Jeans Man of the Match Award. Yeah. <laughs> chance for the Newcastle Knights. Toe forward by Andrew Johns. Can he score his second? Yes. yes. Great try, Andrew Johns. GU blokes are going to have a tough job with a Just Jeans Man of the Match Award. Well, what, what did you win for the Just Jeans Man of the Match? Did you get some jeans I or a voucher? Some, some stonewash Acid wash jeans, <laughs> which would have been perfect which for you in the nineties. Because I've got a fat ass and I got legs <laughs> about that long, so I had to get them rolled up and <laughs> So tell me about the early stages of your career. We'll get to the success you had, but how long? Obviously, you dominated your first game, but how long do you feel you're an integral part of that night's team, or or does it take a while where you, where you're on the fringe and you're wanting to get named each week? I think. I think after about 20 or 30 games, just really started to, to feel at home and that I was part of the, the team I could really contribute, especially in the key position I played. Um, yeah, probably 20, 30, 40 games. So what's the key to well, what you're, you did? Well, uh, I'm steering the ship. I'm calling yep. the plays. I'm uh, looking at weaknesses in the defensive line. I'm getting my strike players the ball in the right situations. I'm kicking the ball, passing the ball. I handle the ball pretty much the most on the field. Control everything. Control the speed of the game. Um, when to speed the game up, when to slow it down. And really, you're an extension of the coach in, in that halfback position. It's like a, a quarterback in um, NFL. I don't know, would it be similar in AFL or midfield or something? Yeah, I don't think there really is. Like that, that, that halfback quarterback role, I don't really think there's a – there is a similarity in the AFL where one player has such a great control of the actual happenings on field. So a young player coming in doing that role and playing with some of the guys who are my heroes, like three, four years before I'm on the hill as a kid watching him and then out in the field I'm screaming at him, do this, do that, don't you yeah. do that, this sort of thing. That's why it takes a long time. And... That control and understanding of the game, Joey, is that inherent for you? Is it experience? Is it coached? Is it listening to the game plan? Or was it just something you could do? No, I think everything you just mentioned, I think it's a lifelong obsession. Of, from the time I was four or five years old, having a ball in my hand, watching guys play for Cessna, and getting into a system at Newcastle, which had unbelievable coaching at the time, and just... Gradually from 15, 17, 19, 21, reserve rate, just learning your trade, watching games, you know, watching guys who I you know, looked up to, Armin Langer, Ricky Stewart, these players, getting their best qualities and trying to morph it into the way I played. That is the end of Andrew John's part A, do not. 
Be Missy, Part B.